Mama said there'd be days like this. It's the Medicare for the Lazy Man podcast. The Medicare podcast for those who love insurance talk. He stood on a corner in Wilcox, Arizona by mistake. Medicare expert, Doug Jones. Hello, 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 ladies and gentlemen. It's another episode of the Medicare for the Lazy Man podcast. As you heard my Canadian nephew, Drew McMillan, say, this is your Medicare expert, Doug Jones, reporting for duty. I'm so happy to have you with us today, and I am so happy to be able to bring you Medicare knowledge in a way that is not only not painful, not awkward, and not um, horribly disgusting to uh, understand and to comprehend, but it's also going to be kind of fun. I believe that by the time you finish reading my book, which should take you no longer than an hour and a half, maybe less, you will be as expert about Medicare as anybody you know. Uh, All the kids on your block are going to be looking at you in awe with great respect because you will be a Medicare expert, and I will have given that knowledge to you for um, a very tiny little cost. It's uh, not a big book. It's not an expensive book, but it is a valuable book. So go to barnesandnoble.com or go to amazon.com, and in the search window, put in Medicare for the Lazy Man 2023. When you uh, find the choices, you will have your option of four different formats. There's a hardcover book, which is suitable for gifting to your loved ones and your friends. There's a paperback book. There is a uh, Kindle or ebook version, and there's an audible book that is uh, suitable for listening. Any of those options will convey the necessary medical or Medicare information to you. And what I think is a very friendly and uh, harmless and palatable method. Uh, when you uh, finish absorbing that knowledge, you're going to know more about Medicare than almost anybody else that you know. So uh, if you uh, still have questions, and of course, I'm the guy to come to in the book, in the podcast, you will find my email address. And uh, I welcome contact with anybody who has questions, needs additional clarification, or just would like to chit chat. So any of those activities are great with me. Get me uh, on your uh, email list, and I will be happy to help you out. Uh, Another person that I like to have help me out is uh, Randy Carson. He is the podcast engineer, and he is waiting to spring into action. Randy, are we ready to go for today? We are. We had a little bit of technical difficulties earlier, but I tracked it down, Doug. Uh Uh-huh. And what did you You find out? You know what it was? I don't know. The pigeons were hanging on to the phone line too tight. Is that how I get my internet through the phone lines? That that seems uh, awkward. Uh, In in your case, it's not. You have a satellite dish. So uh, in reality, the pigeons were sitting in your dish and, uh, you know, (laughs) obstructing the signal with a bunch of other things. Am I going to have to go up on the roof and uh, with my pooper scooper and clean it out? Is that going to be helpful? 
your your satellite dish can only hold so much information from the pigeons. Uh, boy, well, those pigeons, if I could train them to clean up after themselves, then that would be a step forward, I think, in the reception of my, my over-the-air um my over the air uh um what what the heck do we call this this is a um it's internet receptivity but it's so right. much more than that it's my connection to the world it is it is and i it, mean i mean you know you know that if you don't have internet i mean yeah. for sure I, for sure i feel like this if i don't have internet i feel like i'm lost yeah yeah i agree it's uh Kind of frightening to be disconnected once we've gotten used to it. Back in the olden days, before we had internet, things were entirely different. Uh, we'd have to use the uh, old w- open the window and yell. <laughs> yeah. Well, whatever. Ha- I mean, have you ever thought? I mean, you've been in business a number of years. Have you ever thought if we had to go back to doing, you know, the vast majority of our business either over the phone or secondarily by mail? actual you know u.s mail how things would slow down or at least change in complexion well not only that uh you're exactly right about that and i agree 100 percent. but lately ever since the covid monster took over and the democrats decided to shut down a lot of the things that uh, uh used to operate flawlessly or force people to wear masks uh, all hours of the day and night and work remotely from home the u.s mail is not nearly as reliable as it used to be it's not nearly as fast before i was born there was mail delivery in towns twice a day they would come in the morning and bring your mail and then they would come at noon and bring any mail they hadn't brought in the morning um nowadays i try to tell people don't make me don't write a check for your insurance premium and have to mail it in because god knows how long it's going to take it to get to the insurance company uh have them draw it from your account and i don't like people reaching into my checking account but in this case it it skips the U.S. mail's potential errors and slowdowns and uh, allows much more speedy service. So um, I don't like it. I don't like the fact that things are not as efficient as they should be. Uh, we, uh, you know, when I first started in the insurance business, everything was written. If there were phone calls to be made and they were long distance calls, the boss, who was my father, would yell. When he got the phone bill, it would be incredible. We had a bunch of lines. We got a bunch of different phone bills on that day. When the phone bill showed up every month, he would go through them with a fine tooth comb, try to track down the miscreants that were making long distance calls on his, his uh, phone lines. And uh, boy, it was, uh, it was, there was hell to pay if you made a long distance call and didn't fess up. Well, if I'm calling the home office from Chicago to Boston and it cost a few bucks, that was like a nightmare uh, explaining that I had to say, well, look, this needed to be solved immediately. Now that communication is virtually free and it's what's become expected. So right, in- right. instantaneous communication is the order of the day. So I, I can hear it now. You're in the office. Now this was back in Chicago, right? Right, right. In the seventies. So I, I, so I, I can hear your dad you know, with his letter opener, opening up those phone bills. And yep. then, oh, very, well, what, maybe hmm, three minutes after that? Doug! Yeah, absolutely. Who made these calls? <laughs> the time that I became hero 
he was out of town and a guy, a salesman showed up at the front desk and the receptionist said, Doug, uh, there's a guy up here that wants to talk to you. So I went up there. I thought, oh, you can't take care of this. You know, and look at this guy. He's a sad sack. He's wearing an ill-fitting suit, wrinkled. Uh, it looks like he's just been depressed all of his life. And I'm was guessing. It a penny, was, it a penny, was it a J.C. Penny suit? It could have been. It could very easily have been. And this guy just said, he looked at me and he started shaking his head as he talked because he was not a good salesman he said you don't want to save money on your phone bills do you <laughs> he was shaking his head like i was going to tell him to get out and i said uh, how would i do this uh, how would i save this money and he said well i have a method of uh uh, th uh that you can call certain cities in the united states virtually uh free of charge basically it was 10 cents a minute and I said, holy crap, if I could do that to Boston, I'd be like a hero. And I could get a lot of problems solved because I could call the people in the home office instead of um, sending them mail. You know, I got there two days later. And so I said, tell me about this service. And the guy, his eyes opened wide. He said, really? You want me to tell you about it? And I said, yes. So I dragged him into an empty office. And I said, tell me the whole thing. And he said, well, there's a company that is... Um, setting up microwave towers or they've set up microwave towers along railroad tracks and your phone conversation can go into the microwave service and then be sent directly along the railroad tracks to the city that you are calling and then it goes into the city's uh, phone infrastructure and i said right. uh, i said how much does this cost because i'm thinking it's going to be hugely expensive he said cost you ten dollars a month and I said, how long do I have to sign up for? He said, uh, month to month. You can quit anytime you want to. And I said, well, what's the catch? He said, the only catch is that you have to dial a seven-digit code with your telephone number. So you're going to dial a telephone. You're going to pick up the phone, dial a seven-digit or ten-digit code, and then uh, you will then uh, dial the regular number, and eventually you'll be connected with the person you wanted to talk to. He said, that's all there is to it. And I said, there's, there's, there's a, I'm missing something here. What, what am I missing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is too good to be true. Ever since the tooth fairy, I've been taught to be skeptical of, you know, free things coming out of the sky, but this sounded excellent. So, excuse me. I had uh, my, uh, I've got a frog in my throat. His name is Froggy. And uh, <laughs> yes. anyway, anyway, so what happened was I signed up and this guy looked at me, he said, you're a genius. He had been thrown out of office after office after office <clears throat> up and down LaSalle Street in Chicago. But I signed up for his program at $10 a month. I could quit anytime I wanted to and um, tried out the service and by golly, it worked. <clears throat> and when we got our first bill, it was like 10 cents a minute as opposed to a dollar a minute that the phone company was charging. And so this the um, the company was called Southern Pacific communications because the uh, microwave towers followed along the Southern Pacific railroad lines and it went to 10 different cities in the United States. And then it was expanded to more cities, but I was only interested in Boston, Chicago to Boston. That's where I needed to call all the time to solve problems rather than sending explanations in the mail, waiting for the reply to come back in the mail and saying, no, you got it wrong. Here is my elucidation or my correction. And so Later on, that company changed its name to, instead of Southern Pacific Communications, changed its name to SP Communications. And after that, it changed its name to Sprint 
and there I was, you go. I, I recognize about, that one. There you go. I was about the first customer of Sprint in Chicago, and this salesman who had been rejected so many times that day uh, thought of me as a genius for understanding that uh, this was actually just a way for my father not to yell at me about uh, the phone bills anymore. And it worked like a champ. Uh, he was skeptical. Yeah, you're an idiot. You know, I raised you. I know how, you know, your IQ is could be uh, higher, but it's, uh, and then uh, he tried it a few times when we got a bill and it was a much tinier bill than our telephone bill would have been. I became like a hero for that, that month, I guess. So, so he, yeah, actually your dad originally, when you told him about this, this decision you made, he, he took the skeptical stance originally, uh, kind of a wait and see to see where the catch was, right? Well, he assumed that it was probably there was a hidden catch and that I was going to be sorry that I had ever signed us up for this service. But nobody ever was uh, uh, inconvenient or was uh, felt that way. I mean, when the bills came in, we saw that it was a huge money saver. Then what we did was we got a phone system that was programmable. And we programmed that 10-digit code in. So yeah. every time you pick up the phone, if you wanted to call Boston, you'd hit a three or something. It would dial the code, and then we would just dial the phone number of the person we were calling. And uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful thing. Now, eventually, of course, Sprint, I don't know what happened to Sprint. I think they were acquired by somebody. But I remember visiting friends in Kansas City, and Sprint was at the apex of its uh, of its success. And we drove down a four-lane road in the country. On one side was cornfields and bean fields. On the other side was a huge office building, and then a huge parking garage, and then a huge office building, and then a huge parking garage all along this road. And that was the new Sprint headquarters. They built all this stuff at once, and something happened. I think that might have been when the dot-com bubble burst in the two March of 2000 and all right. of a sudden all of a sudden all that sprint real estate worthless oh man isn't it it's just freaking crazy how those things work out you know um I we I mean Omaha Nebraska was a huge sprint hub too for various things back in the day because Omaha's had some great well because of sprint and many of other reasons but we used to have some pretty good telecommunications infrastructure Right. Well, as um, as luck would have it, there's a long history with um, important stuff that happened in America with the Southern Pacific Railroad. The Southern Pacific was chartered to uh, provide service from California to the east, and uh, it found that it there were too many mountains in the way, and so they prevailed upon uh, a, a senator or a congressman to negotiate a land acquisition with Mexico. And this turned out to be the last addition to the contiguous 48 states. And the uh, in 1854, the Gadsden Purchase gave us oh, yeah. all of southern Arizona. And uh, it was it gave us Tucson, which had been a Mexican city up until 1854. And uh, we acquired this land for a fairly small amount of money, only so that the Southern Pacific Railroad did not have to build across uh, scary mountains and, and rocky valleys oh, and stuff. I never do that. Yeah. So I, the... I, I just love these episodes because I always pick up something along the way. Well, the Southern Pacific went through. Tucson and then went along and you can drive along Interstate 10 and see those tracks. And one time we had out of town friends, we were going to Bisbee to uh, look at Karchner Caverns and all the interesting stuff there. And I noticed that we had been driving for miles past uh, 
railroad locomotives that were idled. And I thought, well, a railroad locomotive is built to, you know, pull freight cars and earn money. And what happened? Well, it turns out the uh, Union Pacific had acquired the Southern Pacific. These were all Union Pacific railroad locomotives that were idled because the freight demand was way down. But I hadn't seen that in the economic or the news uh, economic reports. I only saw it as I was driving down Interstate 10, and there was mile after mile after mile of uh, locomotives, railroad locomotives that were idled. And that's how I found out that my investment in Union Pacific stock <laughs> had uh, tanked because it, they were it had, they were it had dropped a bit, huh? It had dropped just a tiny bit. Hey, you know what's going to drop is the uh, the hammer on us if we don't get some Medicare. Yeah, we, we need to get some Medicare going here. So let's go ahead and move on into the Medicare information. All right. And I'm, I, I'm looking at the uh, the the skip the what, what do we call it the episode outline I guess uh, or check checklist I call it a checklist yeah the Medicare the episode checklist we're on episode number four hundred and fifty five right and we've got some interesting stuff here so let's go ahead and move forward Doug and I'll go ahead and mute myself and enjoy the ride. Well, let's hope the ride is exciting, as I hope it will be. Um, I started this episode earlier, and then we had a glitch, and I'm restarting it again. But basically, uh, the people who I talk to about Medicare supplements, I offer two choices. I say, if you want the security blanket of the Cadillac coverage, you can pay more for it, but you will never be threatened or have any problem with additional charges or a big deductible or anything like that. Once you pay the Medicare Part B deductible, you're home free. Your Medicare supplement will, supplement will pay everything else for the rest of the year. So you're on the hook for a couple of hundred dollars, worst case scenario. And, uh, People seem to like the security blanket until I tell them about the massive savings they can realize by taking the high performance or high deductible, high value plan, which is so much cheaper, but opens you up to having to pay more coinsurance. So basically what happens is after that deductible I talked about for a couple of hundred dollars, Medicare pays 80% of the costs, and if you take the high-value plan, you're going to pay much, much less, maybe in the neighborhood of $110, $120, $130 less per month. But you, if you have medical treatment, you're going to have to pay a little bit of the cost. You're going to have to pay 20% of the cost until you reach a certain limit, which is not very high. And then after that, your plan pays 100%. Well, other people are afraid. Sometimes it's the ladies in the household or they're saying, I don't want to take any risk at all. I want the security blanket. I want the the most coverage that I can get no matter what it costs. Sometimes the analytical minds in the house are going, well, wait a minute, how much are we going to save by taking the high value, high deductible plan? And often that savings is substantial. But the reason for fear is really less than one might think because in the Medicare world, the billing for a service or a visit to a doctor is different than it is in the real world. In the real world, you might get a bill for services rendered 
And then you're going to have to pay part of that bill as your deductible. And then after that, your insurance might pay the rest of that bill. But in the Medicare world, it's a little different. What you have is the doctor will send you a bill for what he would really like to be able to charge. In this case, I'm looking at some EOBs, explanations of benefits from Medicare for services that I've had rendered to me. And these services Every time the services are rendered, it's $265. That's what the doctor would like to charge. And basically what I've got is blood thinner. I'm taking a blood thinner because I have a uh, a, a vessel in my leg that's man-made, and it's more prone to clogging up. And so they don't want it to clog up, and so they have me on blood thinners to make sure that it doesn't get a blood clot plugging up the blood flow through this thing. And uh, they check me every once in a while. Actually, I check myself and I send the score in electronically. And uh, for this, I am billed or Medicare is billed and I have to pay a little part of that bill. So I've got the high deductible, high value plan that is so much less expensive. I would probably have to pay $200 a month for the, the, uh, Cadillac plan, the security blanket, but instead I'm paying about $70 a month. And that's a fairly substantial savings as far as I'm concerned. So I have to pay a little bit of my bill. In this case, every time they perform this service, they bill $265, send that bill to Medicare. Medicare then cuts it back they remove the excess that the doctor would like to receive and they cut it back to the amount that Medicare has approved given the uh, type of procedure that it is. And they use a numerical code to identify every procedure in the world. So for this procedure, the doctor bills $265. Medicare approves $64. So they just made $201 of that charge go away. Now, of that $64, Medicare is paying 80%, and they're billing me 20%, $12.82. So the bill started out to be a scary $265, and I'm going to write them a check for $12.82 for this month. Now, I saved $130-some this month. And I had to pay an extra $12.82. I think that's a heck of a deal. This is why I unhesitatingly recommend the high deductible, high value Medicare supplement to my clients. It's difficult to get them to understand, especially those who are risk averse, that the discount is much bigger than the, uh, or the savings is much, uh, uh, much more important than the, um, amount that you have to write a check for, much bigger in most cases, but it turns out to be a real money saver in almost all cases. So in my stack of Medicare items, I also have a an article here that is uh, a little disconcerting for some people. It says, if you retire early, you could be harming your health. As they grow older, many Americans begin to think about the best time to retire, yet a new study throws some warning signs around that decision as retiring early could actually worsen people's health. A recent paper published in the Journal of Economic Behavior and Organization suggests that early retirement may accelerate cognitive decline in late adulthood. Participants in the program report substantially lower levels of social engagement with significantly lower rates of volunteering, social interaction, 
uh, than non-beneficiaries. Oh, boy, I don't uh, get that at all. We find that increased social isolation is strongly linked with faster cognitive decline among the elderly. Here's how the study analyzed cognitive functioning. With a rapidly aging population, China introduced a formal pension program in rural parts of the country in 2009 to combat poverty in old age. Sounds like um, uh, Social Security. It's called the New Rural Pension Scheme. Scheme is uh, probably correct. The program is a pension benefit defined contribution or defined contribution program. So think of that as a 401k in the United States, except that the government administers in China. As always, everything in China is run by the government. The program is a voluntary opt-in, so you don't have to participate. The basic feature is that if you reach age 60, the benefits kick in like an annuity that enables you to have monetary benefits. So you don't have to retire early to draw benefits, but many do retire earlier than they would have without the program. The researchers analyzed this program using a cognitive survey called the Chinese Health and Retirement Longitudinal Survey, otherwise known as CHARLES, to see how retirement plans affect the cognitive performance. Participants in the pension program reported a reduced incidence of regular alcohol drinking. So I suppose that's good. But they also found the participants reported lower rates of volunteering and social interaction compared to the non-beneficiaries. They also noted that an increase in social isolation was strongly associated with faster cognitive decline among the elderly. The study concluded that early retirement's negative influence on mental fitness, mental fitness activities, as well as social engagement, outweighed the protective benefit on health behaviors. The researchers found that the most significant indicator of cognitive decline was delayed recall, which previous researchers had shown to be an important predictor of dementia. So they said their study uh, research was geared to detect true causal effects of retirement on cognitive impairment. One of the toughest problems in economic and social science research is determining whether a relationship between two variables is causal or coincidental. However, understanding the cause and effect of an economic policy decision is often impossible as randomized controlled trials of policies are often not practical or ethically possible. For example, in randomized controlled trial, the gold standard in research to show the effectiveness of a treatment or intervention, participants are randomized to a treatment group or to a control group without knowing their group. To tease out cause and effect when a randomized trial is not possible, economists use a method called natural experiments. This uses random events or real-life situations that create events or policies that can mimic controlled experiments. The application of natural experiments to tease out and cause uh, cause and effect relationships was so influential that a team of economists who originally introduced the method received the Nobel Prize in economics. Using this statistical tool, the researchers were able to study how the decision to retire could impact cognition by comparing two different groups. They compared one group of people of similar age and socioeconomic characteristics who were in the pension program in China and another group of people of similar characteristics in areas where no pension program existed. The individuals in the areas that had the pension program scored considerably lower 
than individuals who live in areas without the pension program. These results were surprising because they were similar to the findings of a same phenomenon in higher income countries or areas such as America, England, and the European Union. When you go to work, you use your brain actively, and in some ways, going to work helps your mental abilities, like going to the gym improves physical fitness. The study also highlights the benefits of interacting with other people. So when we interact with people, it has at least two components that are beneficial for you. The first is social interaction, and then the second is that a more interaction with friends and family naturally enhances mental and intellectual stimulation. So apparently the bottom line here is that the people who retired early in this Chinese experiment um, showed greater uh, tendency towards um, cognitive decline than the people who did not have the opportunity to retire early because they did not have this Chinese retirement fund available to them in their particular area. So I don't know if we can take that to the bank, Randy. Uh, if somebody paid us to retire, would we actually retire or are we having too much fun doing what we're doing? Well, I'm having way too much fun doing what I'm doing. Plus, my wife, Margaret, always tells me, I don't want to live with you anymore if you're not working. Well, there you go. Two important reasons to continue yeah. what we're doing and not expose ourselves to the potential increase in dementia. Because I cannot, I cannot sit still. Uh, I have to be doing something. So sitting, you know, sitting on the couch watching The View is not my concept of a good time. Oh, I'd put a bullet in my brain if I had to watch The View every day. If somebody forced <laughs> me to do that, I'd say, nope, kill me now. But I will say that you, I do thoroughly enjoy helping people cross into Medicare because I talk to so many people that are so confused and they're so grateful when it's all shown to them and explained that I, I don't want to give that up at all. No, no. I mean, if you feel good and you're enjoying what you're doing, I mean, keep on doing it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you might as well take us on out of here. I see that we pretty much burned up. We've killed every cricket in, in the well, uh, system. The crickets are dead. The quarters are gone. And we just need to go ahead and sign off here. We have uh, a set, couple things we need to do, though, before we do. Thank you all for joining us. You could have been a number of different places doing a number of different things, and you weren't. You you chose to spend a little bit of time with us, which we certainly appreciate on Medicare for the Lazy Man podcast. And don't forget, Doug loves to get your cards and letters at dbj at mlmmailbag.com because he loves to hear from you. And he will he will answer you. He does. He absolutely, absolutely does. Doug is a real, real guy. He's not just a figment of your imagination. We talked about the books. We talked about the audios. We talked about the Kindle. You got it. We talked about it. Don't forget to find some place and give us a rating because we're always up against the other, uh, you know, the other podcast for ratings. We'd love it to be five stars. That would just make our day. But until then, you have just spent about 32 and a half minutes with Doug Jones, the anti-insurance insurance guy from Oklahoma. No more living in the fortress of solitude up in the high altitudes behind Cave Creek, Arizona. Bye bye, everyone. <laughs>